today today was what molar time <laughs> yeah uh, my sense of what's what's like a crisis and what's not has become so discombobulated i'll say okay well, once he's in jail or something then i'll start to believe it like let's say we were living in medieval times and you know anyone who's seen the very historically accurate movie braveheart knows punishment for treason was being hanged drawn and quartered i feel like if i actually saw trump being hanged drawn and quartered and i saw him in pieces i would think no, he's, he's like the thing from the thing, and he's going to somehow, you know, still be alive. So I, I to be I, I like I, I can't even follow it anymore because it's like um, I, I don't know exactly what I mean. It's just more. OK, we found some Russian connections. We found some Russian connections. And then this guy didn't do something right. And he lied and um, he lied to some agents or whatever. Uh, it's just like general, it's just like, okay, these guys are bad actors and they broke the law. But they lie so much that I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like normally it would be, sound like a big deal, but it just, you just become so desensitized. I don't know what to think. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Exactly. Escape from plan A. This is the Plan A podcast, Escape from Plan A. I'm Oxford. Uh, and I'm Teen. And today I think we're just going to take a slight detour and just you know, just riff on a show that Teen and I are both fans of. Uh, later we, we can actually talk about how it kind of touches upon Asian Americans. But anyway, so the show that we want to talk about is u- universally beloved show Girls on HBO. I loved it. I, <laughs> I loved it. I think we're like one of the... I, it was funny because like... In a way, that's like one of the first things you and I talked about was was this show, Girls, because it actually is pretty rare to to find to 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 actually talk to people who actually like the show. Yeah, just just a few in the summer, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, and she she's a, she's a woman, and for some reason we, we started talking about girls, and I said, "Oh, I'm a big fan of that show," and she was like, "Good for you," uh, <laughs> and, and it was like. Is it as though every guy she had ever talked to just despised that show, and, and I was such a outlier. <laughs> I I have a I have a neighbor. He's uh he's he actually works in television. Um, like if you go over to like he lives downstairs from me. Like if you go over to his place, he's got like Emmys and shit. Whoa! And uh, I mean, he's not a he's a producer, but like, um, he he hates the show. Uh, he's a white dude, Jewish, but like, he just hates it, and he hates Lena Dunham. Has he seen and, the show? Yeah, he's tr- he does watch it because, you know, he tries to stay current on television. So even though he hates it, he he did power through a lot of it. I don't know how much of it he got through. But I remember thinking at that time, uh, and this is before you and I had ever talked about the show. I was just like, why does he hate it so much? I, I can't understand. Because I, I, at that time, I was I, I watched it because my, my wife liked watching it. And I was like, um, couch side piece in watching it. But I actually <laughs> started getting into it. You know, just a few episodes in, I was like, this is a really well-written show. And, you know, we both, we live in New York. And so, actually, I live right near where Lena Dunham went to high school and stuff. Yeah, the fr- when I moved to New York, the first celebrity sighting I had was of Jemima Kirk. Who's who's that? Is that Jessa? Yeah, that's Jessa. I don't know how many people would actually recognize her, but yeah. for better or for worse, I did. Yeah, I see that dude. And th- he's, he, we can talk about it later, but, like, I see that guy that plays Desi all the time. Marnie's, like, <laughs> I music think douchebag could, Actually... <laughs> Yeah, I think there are just a lot of people who look like him in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be it might be him, but it's 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 almost definitely him. Uh, that guy was so and good. Like, that guy was so despicable. He he, he so should good. win like a white dude award. <laughs> I like I was just like he he's he's a good sport man. That guy is a good because <laughs> that is not a flattering character. But to see the thing is, I remember, uh, the show came out I think around 2012, maybe 2011, yeah. and I remember. That first season, like right before it came out, the hype machine was just insane. Kind of like the whole like online media world was just so abuzz with this show. And it engendered this big backlash. And for about a season, without even seeing it, I just loathed that show so much. Because like the characters on that show are pretty much... They're, uh, the character of Hannah and Marnie, they were both born the same year I was born in. It's something I noticed in one of the show details. So, so it's like I, right in your, this, right these in are, your thing. These yeah. are people I went to college with. I knew these types of people in college and I did not like these people. So I was like, why in the hell do these people get a show? Like, I don't want to watch this mm-hmm. shit. But then you watch it and then you realize, like, especially if you compare it to a lot of other shows that try to depict that age group, 
I don't think any other show was so relentlessly self-critical. And I think that's why it, it will stand, I think, as the best little time capsule of this era. <laughs> you know, like in Gone with the Wind at the beginning, to be like, this civilization, Gone with the Wind kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> be like, this like brief time, um, this... Obama era. Yeah, this oh, this Obama era, people are born, like older millennial. This was, I think, probably, at least in American media, the most perfect capturing of this specific subset group. Like, obviously not universal, never tried to be. And it was... But it did you think it was satire? I, I felt like... The, the show was like edging on satire. I could never really make up my mind as to whether it was actually satire or not. But there were elements of it that seemed to me at least like the, the characters were pretty grotesque in a way. Yes. And, and so there were there, times there was, when mm-hmm. I would I would be like, okay, now she's just trying to get us to hate her in, in a very ham-fisted way. But I don't think it ever went satire in that these people are ridiculous. It was, no, these people are real. I, I know people like this, and people who watch the show know people like this. Um, right. And it wasn't like a like a Seinfeld in which it, it tried to capture this modern spirit, but obviously those characters are so zany that nobody like that really exists, except for maybe like Larry David. Yeah. But these were, I think, very rooted characters. They were a little bit on the extreme edge, but they weren't, like, fantastical. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of, like, the social gatherings, like, they're, they're, like so much of the show takes place in some art gallery uh you know some art gallery debut or some house party or something like that mm-hmm. some warehouse party in Brooklyn and the reason i liked it cuz i'm i'm a bit older than the people in the show i'm a bit older than you but like you um, you'd be the ray of the group <laughs> i'd be uh, yeah and you know what's funny was like i hated ray like i i fucking hated well, him well he's such a stuck up He's like, you have no reason to be stuck up, but he's so pompous at the beginning. But then you get to know him. He's like, oh, this guy's kind of sad. I kind of like him, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, and I started identifying with him in a weird way. You know, like, uh, I actually ended up quite... That was the thing. I think that's what the show does for me is, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the the characters were well, so well written and so well played that you're, for, you're forced to at least, like, accept that they're real people. Like, you know people like this, or you yourself may be a bit like this. And I wonder if that's the part of it that made a lot of people hate the show. Oh, yeah. Was was whether it was too... It's too real. It was too... Yeah, yeah, it was too good a mirror. Like, you know, like, the perfect mirror, I guess, is the one that's a little bit... You know, it's a little bit dusty. It kind of has a little bit of... It's like a carnival mirror. Carnival mirror. It gives you, like, a flattering reflection back. This one, to me, in a way, uh, was so was so accurate in some sense. So maybe it's not satire. Um, it's so accurate that maybe it makes you self-conscious or something. I will admit, I do see parts of Hannah in me when I watch that show. And I think, and there's that, one of my favorite episodes is when she's working at GQ. I think this is season, I want to say season three, maybe. She's working at GQ. Things seem to be going well because she has this legit job in which she gets benefits, a regular salary. She can finally steadily afford rent for the first time everything seems to be going well but then she starts realizing oh this is not like a proper writer's job even though she is writing she's like doing advertorials and there's like she gets like some snide remarks from some people saying oh you're not a real writer and and mind you she's only like 25 at this time and then the whole episode is her slowly hating the fact that she's actually good at her job and Mm -hmm. she like this is when marnie starts having these stupid open mic things with uh desi mm-hmm. and she start, and then adam he has the play going on so now she thinks oh no now i'm i'm not going the opposite direction of where i'm gonna be and i forgot who says this to her but someone says like oh you should just write in your free time and stuff but she can't do it she like goes home and just falls asleep and she just makes this disastrous decision to just quit for no real good reason other than to just feel as though she's not selling out and i i when you're when you're like that age and you don't a lot of it just depends on kind of like peer approval like she wants to be a writer but she you know it takes time to do that so what's really important to her at that point is that others see her like that and if she's working at GQ as as like a sponsored content writer she's not mm-hmm. as real as as a Marnie who's who's you know doing these performances or Adam who has, who's on this Broadway show well and there was another aspect to it um, I, I remember the I remember when she was at the the, the GQ episodes. Because I remember, I remember there were there were other people, maybe like a slightly older than her, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that were really embedded into the job. And then they were kind of like, they were talked to her and she thought she was quite unique. She was like, oh, you yeah, guys like, are Yeah, all... you guys are corporate sellouts. I'm a real writer. But they're like, no. I'm a real... Yeah. <laughs> but they were exactly like her. And no, they, they, were, they... they were even more accomplished than her because they'd actually gotten published and won awards. Yeah. So... Right. And she was basically like in a way, and that part I did understand too, uh, in a different context though. But like this, this, this idea where like, you know, you go like, I think a lot of people feel like they're on a very sort of unique chosen path in a way. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you when you enter like professional life or even you know enter school, um, you meet a lot of people who are like disturbingly similar to yourself but you don't really like how they ended up yeah and i think kind of that what was going on there too was like she she had such disdain for that work and that life and that sort of fake struggle and you know whatever but on the other hand it like perfectly suited her because everyone in that office had at one point been exactly like her mm-hmm. and there was a kind of inherent fear um because I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's so bad about working at GQ, but yeah. I. I mean, maybe it is a sense of selling out or something. But another part of it may be just like, it's just not good enough for me. Like, it's not really selling out, but like settling. Like, that. That's just not a good enough outcome. Yeah, but she's also, as I said, twenty five. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is maybe slightly unrealistic. In which I, I, I think most people, no matter how how. I, self-inflated their opinion would be probably would not quit that job but you know you need that for dramatic effect but i thought that was it, it captured that that spirit well yeah yeah oh, and another another great part is when she goes to like uh, the iowa episodes were in season four which i thought was the weakest season because then it's like the whole mimi rose and adam thing like i don't give a fuck about them but her few episodes in iowa were very well done because it's such a this is where she goes to the iowa writers workshop yeah and for like a painful and... three episodes she's with just these terrible people in her workshop and they're so insufferable yeah. and it climaxes with like one of her crowning moments in the show in which she just pretty much verbally takes down every single one of them at this party um, right that, that was that was like a, a, one of the lone bright spots and i thought a rather forgettable season four the, well the raise that raises the question though like i, I mean that, that was interesting just because you know i wonder if that's why people hated the show so much is because the yeah you're right like the other the other classmates of hers were insufferable but couldn't you i mean in some way make a girls show like a show like girls about any one of those people and the, from their perspective Hannah would have just been like one of the loathable classmates like what was part of it just like yeah we get it like there you have a you, this is an accurate honest subjective relation you know uh, a depiction of of millennial life or whatever, but why this girl? I think I feel like that was one of the reasons people criticized the show was like why her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I most know. obvious, it's because it's Lena Dunham and <laughs> she is she will... connected or something or like what? How did she get to that point? Her mom is some kind of artist, right. um, and she she definitely comes back from a very privileged background. She went to St. Anne's. Very, mm-hmm. very hoity-toity prep school in New York. Um, yeah. But it wasn't as though she was, say, like Sofia Coppola. <laughs> um, right. And she did, before this, she had this movie called Tiny Furniture, which got some praise. Like, what happened was, like, it comes out this show, and it's obviously about a white woman, very... Like, her character in the show is not that... It's just not like some upper-class character, but it is a very white story. And at first, I was totally on that line of criticism like we could have made the show about anyone it could have been uh, anyone in that workshop or it could have been any anybody in, in new york city or any or whatever mm-hmm. but i mean you and i've talked to us i do appreciate a show that's just so white that is is like not trying to be anything it's not trying to say anything universal it's just saying this is this is how white we are and this is our life and there is something i find uh worth watching about that and it doesn't have to serve every viewpoint i mean let other people do that let Issa ray do her show let jessica williams do her show let you know justin chan do whatever don't make lena dunham do everybody because when she tries to do it it obviously it often just falls flat like when donald glover does like his two episode cameo as the black boyfriend yeah. like that served no yeah. value 
Yeah, and I thought, um, <clears throat> what's his face? Um, uh, Riz Ahmed. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really was, get why he was on the show. It just felt weird. I didn't get it. Yeah. I and didn't really he, get it either. I was just really confused because his name was Paul Louis. So it was like, what is this? Like, what is this guy? Like, Riz Ahmed is, he's Pakistani, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, obviously, yeah, I don't know any pa- Pakistani people like Paul Louis. So I, I, when I was seeing him, I just kept playing this game. Like, like what's his ethnicity? I would guess yeah. something like, like Moroccan or something. Is that why he has a French name? Yeah. Um, just to spice it up, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then their baby ended up being darker than either of them. <laughs> <clears throat> Which some people were saying was like, why is the baby darker than even Riz? <laughs> I think they just got a black baby. <laughs> yeah, they got... Yeah. <laughs> uh, my... I, let me think. Uh, the, the funny thing is like, I, I'm surprised at six. I did see the whole thing. And... I'm surprised because like I I would have thought that it was like something more like four seasons. I don't know if I have like a favorite part of it because um, to me the show front to back was pretty was pretty even in its tone. I think I liked <clears throat> I think I liked the earlier parts of it. I mean not not for any particular reason other than I think the overall the reason I felt it was like an honest or like a, a realistic depiction of sort of like modern youth life was how these friends they're like they're kind of like ersatz family um Mm -hmm. they they're trying to they're they're trying to make a good faith attempt at having real human connections with each other and they're trying to find you know you know, they don't have big families. Like, nobody has big families. They're, I don't think anyone really has, like, a They're all broken families. In the picture. Yeah, they're all broken families. Yeah, I mean, I think Han- only Hannah's parents were together, and then they split up at the end because her dad's gay. I, I went, th- like, I remember, like, just living in San Francisco for a little bit. And I was in, like, I, I, I was there for, like, a summer. Oh, that's when you lived in, in this, the, like, the commune. Yeah, the, yeah this, it was, like, last I couldn't find housing, so I ended up having to live in this... I was doing. I was like the. I was like making more money than everyone. I was doing like a law firm, you know, summer in uh, mm-hmm. in in the in the Bay Area, and then I was living in this commune kind of thing. I remember being struck by how it was mostly white, not all white, but it was mostly white. And I remember being struck by how people kind of relied on each other as sort of like stand-in family, and they would get like really into each other's personal lives, like in a level to a level that I wasn't really down with like i i i i didn't i was like definitely the kind of person like that didn't share share that much but then on top of that though it doesn't work like because people are so fundamentally selfish and it's just like this really really constant this constant level of both disappointment you know perceived betrayals and just a general it's kind of like recreating all of the family dissolution and the lack of sort of a grounding and they're constant and the show is good at that it constantly tries they're trying to reaffirm the importance and meaning of friendship and then it always disappoints them because someone doesn't show up someone betrays someone else someone drops out uh and it just i think that that kind of instability uh really marked uh I think it really marks life for a lot of people, especially in New York. I just feel like people want to depend on each other, but they can't. Yeah, uh, there was... I, I don't know if that had any influence, but that's pretty much... Like, the idea of young college friends or, like, friends in college drifting apart as they get older in their late 20s. That's a central plot line to Francis Ha, which okay. that movie was very influenced by this movie. I, can't, I think it came out in the late 70s called Girlfriends. Uh, the okay. storyline is pretty much the same. It's about these two women, um, and they're kind of uh, getting older, like in their late twenties. One of them is in a serious relationship, eventually gets married. The other one uh, is kind of like struggling. She's single. She's like working as a photographer, doesn't make a lot of money, kind of unstable. This is like a yeah storyline that has been around at least for for a bit, and and it leads to that. I think. That crowning moment. I think it's episode three when they're out at the beach house and Shoshana gets drunk and just says what every audience member has been wanting to say for <laughs> a few years. Right. And she just right. unloads on them. And I think it's that point where she kind of becomes the the hero of the story. I mean, the closest thing to... I mean, she has her flaws, but she becomes the closest she's thing the, to the hero. She's the youngest one, right? 
She's the youngest one. She's the And she's the one that seems to have we're talking about Shoshana here, right? The Yeah. She she's the one that has the sort of to me like the most sort of conservative Exactly, um, exactly. Sort of, you know, sort of like like weirdly realistic view of the other characters. Yeah, she like, wants to get like work for a big company. She wants to get, you know, I don't think she ever wants to get married, but she she talks about like five year plans and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and by the end, she, like while everyone else is, is is obsessed with this kind of like do what you love mentality, that was very very strong. I think for people oh, like yeah, in my yeah. age group, she's yeah. the one who probably least exhibited that. She had a very she was very ambitious but very practical view of yeah, life. like a practical and, ambition. Yeah, yeah, and and the show ends with her presumably happily engaged, and. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of a mess. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, which uh, I think you said earlier you wanted to get the Asian-American angle in, which there are very few Asian-American characters in it, though. Yes, but they, but it, it's noticeable when they appear. They're not just total background characters because in the first episode, Hannah, um, she's like doing this internship that she's been at for two years. I mean, that's kind of crazy, don't you think, to be mm-hmm. on an unpaid internship for two years? But yeah, she's there yeah. and she gets kind of like pushed out when she asks for a raise because her co-worker, who is an Asian woman, is better at Photoshop than she is. Uh, I kind of remember that, yeah. That's the first Asian contact you see. The second is when you meet Sujin, who, who is kind of like a more successful version of Marnie. Mm. They both used to work for this douchebag artist, Booth Jonathan. And then later on, Marnie has, suffers the indignity of having to work for Sujin. Because Sujin, I think, comes from some rich family. She has her own art gallery that her daddy pays for and mm-hmm. and Sujin just pretty much treats her like an underling right um and then so shoshana goes to japan and wait before we get to shoshana those because that's a different line but those two those are two asian american women exactly uh, and i thought the, the photoshop girl deep- she doesn't she's kind of not really in the picture as much as Sujin, right Oh, she's like in a scene for about five seconds, and you ne- you never see her again. Yeah, Su- Sujin's a little bit more recurring. Yeah, yeah, she she ha- definitely has lines, she has scenes. But before we get to this, the, uh, Lena Dunham wrote a bunch of essays. This was, I think, maybe when she was like college age, mm-hmm. where she uh, went to Japan with her mother, and she writes a bunch of these oh, essays. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, they're they're a little cringy. But one thing that really struck out to me is she reveals this insecurity she has with Asian women. Because she sees them as these like effortlessly petite uh, women, whereas Lena Dunham fam- famously has, you know, uh, makes a a lot of her character is informed by her body image issues. So when you take that into account and you look at the two Asian female characters that are in this show are presented essentially as competition. One is professional for Hannah, and the other one is kind of professional slash social for Marnie. And you look at and then um, Shoshana goes to Japan for uh, for work, and a whole episode is actually set with her in there. And she, her boss is this young Japanese guy named Yoshi. They kind of have a a little relationship, which doesn't last long because she gets very homesick and then comes back to the U.S. But funny enough, the guy she doesn't don't, 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 like don't they get engaged or something? The, no, no, th- no, no. I thought he wanted to propose to her or something. I thought no, it got no, pretty no. serious. And then no, okay. And then funny enough. She comes back to America. I guess she can't forget Yoshi, so she eventually marries an Asian guy. <laughs> right? So if you Asian American guy, right? If I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if so, if you contrast that, you got like two Asian women who are competition to like the white female characters, and then you got the two young Asian guys who are presented as love. Oh yeah, and then there was uh there was an Asian guy in the um in the Iowa like right Oh yeah, Chester. Yeah, Chester can't yeah. forget about him. So just for a little background information, Chester is one of uh, Hannah's classmates at the Iowa workshop in season 4. He's Asian, male, and he's gay, which I think puts an interesting twist on this because I always got the sense that in these types of elite uh, artistic hipster circles, like the, like the gay Asian guy was there was like a niche for him. Is is uh, uh what yeah. what do you think about? I've noticed that. And he's yeah. ki- and he's kind of an antagonistic character, which I think falls in here because you have like the the Asian female characters as antagonistic and the Asian male characters as 
more sympathetic. And then you got the gay Asian guy who's kind of in the middle because he's this, well, all the, all her classmates in Iowa are, are kind of her enemies. Uh, so he's part of that. And I think it's worth noting that he, when she describes him, she like goes on this funny tirade against all her classmates right before she drops out. She calls him a tragically hip Gaysian. Ga- she so, uses the term Gaysian? Oh, yeah, okay. Calls- <laughs> uh, so he is cool let's, uh-huh. uh, in, in this context. Right. Like he, yeah, right. I see what you mean. Like he fits, he fits well into the environment. Like the, like he's not, um, I mean, he's token in a way, but he, she's in a way, his inclusion in that means he's, he's of a part of that, that scene. Yeah. There's a space for someone like him, but probably only one. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, speaking of like Asian male characters, does us, I guess, does like Riz, Riz Ahmed count when he shows up later? Oh, okay. yeah, you could you could count Riz as well, like in a more broad sense of Asian American. Yeah, um, you got yeah. Yoshi, Paul Louis, and and uh, Byron. That's his name. Somehow I remember that name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like you would think, like if like a white guy wrote this show, if a, sorry, you, you cut, if a white guy wrote this show, if the white guy wrote this show, it obviously would not would, would not go like that. So and I want to bring up all these other shows that are made by these. Kind of like older millennial women. Uh, some examples off the top of my head, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with uh, Rachel Bloom, Insecure with Issa Rae, Ingrid Goes West, Aubrey Plaza. I just watched the incredible Jessica James um, mm-hmm. over the weekend with Jessica Williams. And you, you look at the age group of these uh, women, they're all kind of like oldest, maybe early 80s to youngest, maybe like 1990, maybe very early 90s. So this is, I feel like I understand this age group they're like we were all like cooked in the same stew <laughs> and if you look at things that they have in common and you can include other shows like say unbreakable kimmy schmidt oh how could i forget uh broad city broad city is the other uh-huh. big one and uh-huh. the edge of 17 edge, edge of 17, 17 was yeah was directed written and directed by this woman is a like kelly freeman craig um not not that old she's like i think born in the early 80s so she, you can count her in this age group if, if you just look at okay so let's because something I noticed was when I was just like on the internet and occasionally there'd be like a story that says, oh, there's like a positive Asian male character popping up. Almost invariably, it would be in these shows, usually by like these white female, young white female comedians. That just seemed to be the trend. That's like true. The only places we were popping up were these shows. And I, and I was like thinking, why Why is there any link to that? I, I think that's that's worth a discussion. And my, and my thinking is, if you're trying... Oh, I mean, I think that's true. The pattern definitely seems to be true. Uh, I don't... I haven't seen many of these shows, to be honest. But I do remember... Uh, God, out of that whole list, um, there's one in there where, like... I think it's a high school uh, set show. And sort of, like, the jock... the the, the t- You know, like, you're, the, who would be, like, in the past, always played by, like, a blonde-haired quarterback jock kind of guy uh is played by like an asian dude and the i remember reading something where the creator of the show was like well i went to high school i think in like oh Orange that's County. a crazy ex-girlfriend oh crazy ex-girlfriend yeah, that's yeah. crazy ex-girlfriend rachel bloom and- from crazy ex-girlfriend i don't think the asian guy in that shows like a jock but he is he's like presented as like the, the popular guy whom the kind of dorky a female protagonist had a crush on for a really long time. Right, right. Actually, no. I think they met once at a summer camp. Actually, that might be wrong. But oh, okay. he is presented, and and then she did give that interview in which she said, "Well, I grew up in California, and and that was what I was. That's what I was exposed to." Yeah, she said that was how it was in her high school. Actually, was, and and I guess what she was saying, I think, was like not. It didn't have anything really to do with wanting to give Asian male representation a boost. But she was just saying, like, she wanted to put out something that looked and felt a little bit more like the real world, the modern Southern California that she grew up in. And to get that texture right, you actually needed to put that guy in. It, it would feel probably a little bit too retrograde if that guy was, again, like, you know, a, a, a white jock. Because it would, maybe it would just blend in a little bit too much with previous shows like that. And so I, my takeaway from it was that, you know, to differentiate the show, to make it look and feel different and odd, not odd, but like new, that you, you put an Asian guy in there 
uh, in a California high school and it's going to have a little bit more of a flavor to it is kind of how I took it. Exactly. And I think maybe in the past that character might have been black, but it might be that, you know, we've we've seen, you know, guess who's coming to dinner that maybe that they think that's a little played out. So they're thinking, mm, what's the new frontier, right? Who needs who's kind of like the what would make our show? Fresh? That might be a little patronizing now. Uh, I mean, not to say that it, they don't do it like Broad City and you've got Hannibal Burris in there, etc. But like, yeah, it might just be a little too played out. Yeah, I do think it's a conscious decision, though, that they're thinking like, oh, we can't, especially if they're selling themselves as a progressive show. You can't have it all right. white people. So you got to start thinking of which minority groups you, you include. And it's inverted because traditionally, if you have like the white right. male center, uh, what you would see is well, he would be centered and, and the minorities that are welcome into that group would maybe be like the black best friend and like the the hot Latino or the hot Asian chick. That's how it that that's what the configuration right. was for a while, right? Now you invert it. Now you have the white female mm. at the center. Well, there, there's also black women. We can get to that because there are a few shows here that have them as creators. But now that experience now is totally reversed now because cause what, what I noticed in a lot of these shows is, well, you look at girls and you look at Ingrid Goes West, which is the, the movie that came out this summer. Very good movie. It's like a parody of Instagram. But I was really struck because one of the characters there is played by Pom Clementiev. Who's who's actually Hapa, but she she's presented as Asian in the in the show, in the movie, and she plays this character who is pretty much like is like the popular girl. She's like this Instagram star, and and like all, all like the, the white girls look mm -hmm. up to her. That's that's real life. I could not imagine a white guy creating a story in which, like realistically, the, like the the top dog is an Asian oh. guy. Like I've never like if he did that. I don't think people would buy it because we're not at that point yet, right? But I, but people can believe that in certain parts of America, in certain parts of uh, like society, I, you know, there are it's believable that like the queen bee is now Asian. well, and in, in, in that particular world of you know fashion Instagrammers and bloggers, that that's the real that's the actual case, right? Like these the a Amy Song and Chriselle Lim and. The, the the top fashion you know people in on Instagram etc are in fact Asian American yeah and I think that's a reflection of something I've felt for a long time and and now I think I'm being articulate but there ha like in my generation there was a divergence of kind of social acceptance and we're now seeing the fruition of that in which you have these people who are kind of like in their early 30s now ascending to positions of influence in which you can tell our experiences and our stories and in this landscape. Asian girls are and Asian women are conceivably they've achieved quite a bit of status. They ha they have. You, Whereas, you you think the same is not true for Asian guys? Uh, no, not nearly. Not nearly to the same level. I because I, I, I have a hard time. I mean, because if you want to take like really just notable examples, um, I I I, can, I mean, can you think of an Asian f female star bigger than you know like a uh, John Cho? Uh, I mean, just just looking at actors. Well, like, what about someone like, say, Sandra O? Oh, it's hard who to for say. For a while, was you know, fairly prominent. Who else? Like Lucy Liu, right? Fairly major star. Like she was, in, she was one of the Charlie's Angels. Lucy Liu, back in yeah. in yeah. The turn turn of the millennium, she was uh, she was big. Yeah, yeah. John Cho was only she was now big. beginning to maybe like start to be considered for maybe lead roles. Yeah, but in your in your. Uh... I guess in your cohort, <clears throat> in your age group, I guess was you're, you're trying to say maybe it is that the that Asian women had sort of a more had 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 an easier time rising to the top. I think it was when they were first beginning to like it was no longer weird at that point. I think to for if you're uh, an Asian girl, it wasn't that weird for you to be kind of be accepted into the mainstream. And I think. Right, and even if we like go back to like the '90s, we talk about like the Joy Luck Club and stuff. It was still like it, the divisions were still pretty, I th probably quite wide between mainstream and either Asian. I I, I guess maybe I'm coming at, but I th I see what you're saying, but I think maybe I'm coming at from the wrong direction. But like maybe the sort of social visibility and social importance, or the social role of Asian women are is more clearly defined 
there is a, like you said, like Lena Dunham in that essay, for example, revealed that there was a significance to the concept of Asian women from as in her experience as a white woman. Whereas I think Asian guys don't really, they're, yeah, they're not really, they don't, there's no real social gravity to it. They're not really affecting the space around Yeah, it. like a white guy wouldn't go to Japan and be, oh, these like Asian guys are just so much better than I'm them. the tallest guy like, around. Generally, they probably uh, would not feel that. Yeah. It's the opposite. Like, oh, I'm here. I'm the man. I'm whatever. I, like, you know, or I'm, I'm like way cooler than everyone here. I expect everyone to just worship me. Whereas it doesn't work that way when, the, when it's a white woman. And something I've also noticed in both... I just watched The Incredible Jessica James, and what's interesting is, so the story behind that is the protagonist, played by Jessica Williams, is just broken up by, has just broken up with her boyfriend, who's black, played by Lakeith, I forgot his last name. He kind of got in a mess earlier, because he was in the, what's that, what's that uh, show on Netflix about the, Death Note, and then he tried to justify that, that's, it's okay, well, like, whatever, like, let's just forget about that for now but he plays her ex and then at the very beginning she's on some tinder date with some white dude and he she tells her she tells him i'm only here to make my ex jealous because i know he's coming here with his date and that date turns out to be asian and you never see them again it's, it's not a it's not a it's not a plot point that runs through the rest of the movie but it's also something i've seen in insecure in which at least in season one there are two they're kind of like minor asian characters one is a co-worker at the law firm that Molly, Molly's Issa Rae's best friend. She's this like high-powered high powered lawyer. She works at this law firm. One of her co-workers is Asian. I think the actress who plays her is Hapa, but I, I think she's just presented as Asian on the show. She's engaged to a black guy. So again, from... And then Molly kind of has these hang-ups because she's very career-driven, but also has uh, has like this timeline yeah. to her life that she wants to accomplish things by yeah. certain dates and it's like she wants to get married relatively soon so she's like thinking oh this co-worker is married is getting engaged mm-hmm. and getting married to the type of black man that i want to get married to so and, and then this uh asian co-worker she's kind right. of presented as lame like she tries to like kind of like be woke or whatever but it's just not not working <laughs> and then the other asian character is uh, i don't know his name he's not that major but he's a teacher i think who works at the public school that Issa Rae's non-profit helps out she like does tutoring for these at-risk children and he, he's played by this incredibly good-looking actor named ivan shaw and you don't get to know him that much the only real plot development is i think in one of the later episodes he tries to kind of flirt with molly but she's in a really bad mood because of some some like guy troubles and she like blows him off and this is seen as her just being a bad person because it's like this really nice attractive guy just trying to strike up a conversation with her and she just just blows him off so again it's it's maybe minor but it's it's just this pattern i keep seeing and, and it, i just can't help but notice it. but so what do you what how, what do you um what picture are you drawing it from then i mean it sounds like i gather that like your interest in this is to sort of get a peek of uh i think you said this earlier was like try to get a peek of outsider opinions or impressions of asian people and yeah so i'm are you drawing a picture in, out of this? Like, is there, what do you? Th- well, I don't want to draw too much out of it because these are not that many shows. And I mean, who knows what these casting people and writers are thinking, but it is kind of confirming something that I felt, which is that there is this, there has been this uneven acceptance of Asian men and women in, in like say past, in, in like my generation. And from the female perspective, from the non Asian female perspective what this kind of looks like is Asian women are fairly high status and they can be kind of seen as competition uh, in in the role that might have been played by maybe like the blonde cheerleader kind of type character and then Asian guys are just kind of x factor you don't really know they don't really we don't really have we can kind of be anything we can be Josh from crazy ex-girlfriend who's like the the, the cool kind of dim <laughs> jockey kind of guy or we can be the the character from insecure who's who's like this do-gooder dreamboat or we can be you know like yoshi from girls or whatever um th- yeah that that's just kind of what i'm seeing and 
well, you know, I, and I just keep wanting to see these things to see what else, what else is uh, out there, and if if it further confirms this or it goes against it. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think there was another. If you look at it from the other perspective, one thing that I think you and I both noticed, and a lot of other people have noticed, is there's a lot of Indian dudes doing shows and doing TVs and movies like you know the big sick and then Hasan Minhaj's Netflix special and De- you know Dev Patel's uh sort of family documentary and of course um Aziz and uh, Master of None uh the fixation from the other end about you know mm-hmm. Indian dudes uh or Pakistani dudes having relationships with white women and not not just sort of you know, in all the things that we've been talking about, Asian American characters sort of factor in as this sort of like, you know, sort of poking into reality, but but really coming from a different space that's not really the subject of the show. I mean, Asian American experiences have zero to do with these shows. It's also not written by us. We are being written into this world mostly by white creators, also black. Yeah, which is important. I think I think I think the way you're watching it is is key because you're you're saying that you're looking for outsider perspectives into Asian American characters versus you're mm-hmm. looking for any sort of authentic, accurate depiction of Asian Americans, right? I mean, of course we're gonna show up the way they, you know, Lena Dunham and the writers see Asian Americans. But from the other side, uh it seems to be like white people are not poking into the narrative they're like front and center the narrative and it's it's all about you know their the way that they interact with white women that is like key to the You're show talking about south asian men it's like the fundamental south asian men i mean like hasan minaj's thing is all about a white mm-hmm. girl i mean the entire thing the entire story is about a white girl and it's not even like oh she happens to be white no it's about that she's white you know as is the big sick yeah. as is I mean, Master of None is not as overt upfront. I mean, it kind of really, really suppresses the racial aspect of it. Yeah, but, but I can the, sense it. The, the dev, yeah, yeah, it was very front and center. Which there's just this asymmetry to it. Yeah, which kind of to me is rather annoying in a way because like I'm basically watching, you know, these Asian guys, these South Asian guys doing movies, but it's entirely about how they feel about white girls. Um, and I'm just like, I'm not really getting much out yeah. of it, to be honest. So my mixed feeling on that is, A, it would be nice if we could get a different angle. But B, I mean, you're a little different because you said that you didn't really, you were pretty comfortable in your Asian-ness and being attracted to other Asians. I'm not attracted. Like I've never, I've never been that attracted to white girls, period. Like that, like it's just not, my rela- like relationships with white women have never been something that I grappled with. Uh, and by watching these movies, I kind of feel lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it, it just so dominates the experience. And I'm just like, damn. I think man. if every minority guy is truly honest, I think, I'm not every, obviously not you. I say a lot. If they were truly honest, I think most would say they went through a phase like that. So my thinking is, yeah, it would be nice if we could see like a nice, say like, South Asian guy, South Asian girl story, or like an East Asian guy, East Asian girl story, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But do you think that this is something we we can't just ignore is as as not real and then live in this fantasy land where we never had these problems? Because then I don't think they get solved. So maybe the my issue with these is is it's presented as like I didn't see the big sick, but from what you said of it, you know, I I think I would get bothered by it. Yeah, because it 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 it's uncritical. About yeah, it. If like, it has to be critical. That's the key word. You should yeah. not ignore the reality, but you can't just present it as this like beautiful, timeless post-racial love story. Because I, I'm sorry, right. that might have flown in like 2011, but yeah. you know, we we are living in different times now, and yeah. it's 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 a crock of shit. <laughs> I and I and I find it fascinating that the big sick uh, was so embraced by white audiences. Like I think they was, were yearning for like 2012. Like they're like, please take us back to 2012. Right? It was. I feel like they were letting like Kumail. How do you say his last name? Nanjani? I assume it's Nanjiani. Like, just sound it out. Yeah. Nanjiani. Yeah. Nanjiani. Like I feel like there, to some extent this movie was a kind of um, it was kind of a like a, a nostalgia device. I don't know. 
it was nostalgia, but it was also a sort of like forgiveness movie, or so, almost something like it was like a reaching across the aisle. So, sorry for spying on your you masks, know, kind like, of thing. <laughs> Ray Ray Romano plays like this father who's the most unconvincing. You well, know, they play the most unconvincing, intolerant parents ever because they come out and they're just like super accepting and open and understanding. But there's like there's just these really yeah. really pathetic little attempts in the beginning to kind of demonstrate the ignorance that they're going to overcome. So, you know, he sees Kumail for the first day, like, and he's like, so 9-11, yeah. you know, like that, like, and then it never comes up again. Like, he's not a committed racist. Yeah, what a quitter. There is not, like, he's just pure open-minded heart, you know, open, kind-hearted goodness with a, just that little one line of ignorance that he gets to over spend every other line overcoming. It just felt so paper thin. I don't know. I, I yeah, I mean, I do, I do, I do feel like I should watch it, but feels like I'm not going to enjoy it, and I and I don't yeah. want to go into it biased. Yeah, but that's your specialty, <laughs> man. You love watching shit that pisses I do, you off. I do. That's like that's that's what gets you going, man. You read shit that you fucking hate, and you're just like, where is it? Say a copy. <laughs> I need to see it. <laughs> Let me read that shit that I hate. Uh, it's a good movie. I mean, at the end of the day, it is it is a good. It's like a well made, watchable movie. Uh, and your your objections to it, I think, will be purely in that yeah. critical realm. Going back to like Asian guys being as X factor, I, th- I think maybe curiosity is like we're curiosities. It's like that thing that was like at the at the back of the store, you never really noticed it, but like okay, it's there. Maybe we should check it out. And mm. that's the that's the kind of vibe I'm getting with these things. Like you you watch like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and in the first season you have the the Ki Hong Lee character. Versus, and he's pitted against what would probably be the more traditional leading man. He's like this white blonde guy with a British accent. Turns out he's a dirtbag though. So the Kimmy ends up uh, falling for the rather unfortunately named Dong, which was like a mini controversy at the time, which I thought was kind of silly. Like just just let it go. There's like <laughs> bigger battles to fight. His name is yeah, Dong. Dong. Okay. It's it's trying to subvert the. Because all a lot of these shows are all about subverting expectations with you know like a feminist narrative and all that, so it's like we're, they're trying to think, okay, let's try to subvert the traditional like leading man archetype, and they're thinking what's pretty radically different from the blonde British guy, oh, the Asian guy with the accent. <laughs> That's a surprise. I mean, you've come up with a surprising number of examples. It's like almost a trope now. If you think yeah, may- if if we put in TV tropes, maybe people start picking up on it or something. <laughs> Right, the unexpected Asian boyfriend. Yeah, the it's it's like the yeah, like wh- white is too boring, and then and then blacks uh-huh. are even kind of done before. You'll you'll never guess who's coming. <laughs> yeah, never guess like who's the, coming for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, is that a positive or a negative? See, that's the see, that's the like for now. It's it's a refreshing change, right? And I think it is. And yeah, because you know we've had to put up with a lot of shit for a while. It's a welcome change for now. But I think at a certain point, you will start to get... Because we, we've talked about this with other people in Plan A, where I think we have to be honest in that there is a conflict of interest when you're talking about minorities and gender. So as I was saying before, when you had these like white male-driven stories, the minorities that tend to get welcomed into that are uh, minority women, right? Because they, they... When, when you when you center on like the straight white guy, that's what happens. Now, when you have like the straight white female in the middle, you may see this more where the, it's the minority men who are more welcome, whereas the minority women get seen as competition, which I think we've seen a bit. And True. I think minority True. minority women yeah. have a right to be very suspicious of that. And at a certain point, I think we can't be all, yeah, now now we're in, you know, so like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, because these, the Asian women, the Asian women roles uh, in, in um, Igrul's, Seems to me, on the surface at least, a lot less flattering than the the Asian male. Yeah, the Asian guys. I mean, like Yoshi is kind of like goofy because he's a little foreign, but you know they're they're presented as generally good characters in a show with a great dearth of good characters. Like everyone on that show is almost y- Yoshi. Yoshi to me would have been like in the past, maybe she would have gone to France, mm, and yeah. then like sort of like this slightly you know like a slender frenchman who's like charming like, like and a f- olivier martinez from unfaithful yeah something like that like something exotic <laughs> it's a hot you know. love affair <laughs> yeah gets killed you know. by a snow globe <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 a cookbook uh 
yeah, yeah. Yoshi to me was played somewhat of like like a, what a European character would have in the past. Um, yeah, like a manic uh, manic pixie dream boy almost. Kind of, yeah. And then the, her the the I you know they don't develop what's his name Byron like. There's not yeah. much to him other than he seems like a successful, attractive, confident. He's successful. Guy. He's like well dressed, attractive. Like not a horrible personality. <laughs> yeah, he he's the guy basically that he's the he's the boyfriend that the other girls never. He gets bonus points simply because he's not Desi and he's not Adam. Exactly. Uh, I, guess, yeah. I don't know who, who else is in that universe of bad people, but yeah, the Asian women in it, like Sujin, etc. They're they're seen as these. Oh, so really she's horrible. She's a horrible character. They're horrible. They're they're awful characters, and and they, it kind of reminds me away. Of the sort of Asian male nerd goofball kind of thing, like there's they're they're kind of meant to be hated. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that women are catty and they're trying to put everyone down. Because let, let's be real, like guys are fucking catty as hell, right? They're, right. Like like white Hollywood has spent decades pretty much snidely putting down male competition from other groups, clearing space for white men. Yeah, but yeah, sure. um, I do think that. Just from your life experience, when you're yeah, thinking yeah. of this, it's inevitable that your gender, sexual orientation, all that informs the, the stories you're telling. And you have a limited amount of space. You have a limited amount of time. So you, you have you have to make very decisions that will exclude some people, maybe distort some people, whatever. And I think we are starting to see that with these like white female-centered stories and black female-centered stories. And I'm... It's quite fascinating to see how the perception of Asian men and women seem to kind of flip when that happens. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that that not not only is it a matter of like, oh, there's a limited amount of roles, there's a limited amount, but I think actually that the that the fact that the characters present the way they do uh, is exactly what you'd expect because the whole point of girls, uh, like we said, uh, you know, it's a love or hated show because it's it is meant to be so subjectively biased, like. It's so biased, and it's almost a feature of of that show. It's a it's an aggressively white show, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, which I think is something you've put, you've picked up in the past, which I fully agree with. Which is that there does need to be space for something that's a white yeah, show. Like, uh, let let white people have their space. <laughs> that's that's my motto. Yeah, and just let but call it white, right? Like call it a white show versus it's just a show it just happens yeah. that everybody in it's white right and i remember like back in the day uh someone refer it was in a asian american studies class or something and the this was back in the 90s and the professor my professor was like yeah you know who watches friends it's basically a show about white people people were laughing at that concept because like the very concept that a network television show would be called qualified as a white show was so bizarre but now i think it's um you know, it, it should be seen that way. Uh, it's a white show. And the fact now that we're there, that, that we can say that about a show or we're getting to that point, the, the characters by definition then present as white impressions of, you know, non-white people. And I like that in a way because then at least there isn't a sense that these Asian characters are meant to be realistic. Like, I don't think in anybody, any Asian should watch girls and try to relate to the Asian characters yeah. on it. They're not those type of characters. Um, they're, they're, they're pure mental projections uh, of Asian people by white creators. And, but there's just no, it's obvious. Or those Asians are real, but the type of Asian people who would uh, intersect into those orbits are not representative of the majority of Asians. Because if you think about it, Right, right. It's a select. That's true. It, like those circles are very, very kind of like monochromatic, let's say. <laughs> and it's like if there is an Asian person, they're probably like the one or two, like the one exception. So. Right. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Dude, I didn't think we'd be actually have an hour of uh, things to talk about on girls, but it, it we, like we barely no, got into could, the show, actually. <laughs> I could talk so much about it because I, I have like no one to talk about this with. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> everybody hates it. <laughs> and, like people hate it or they probably deny watching it i i have yeah. no idea i think i think like compared to like say a show like master of none which i think will age terribly like, i think the sh- girls will seem ridiculous in, in like five or ten years but you think so 
I think it'll age pretty well, actually. Well, it it will seem ridiculous because it'll be such a time capsule of a bygone era. Mm-hmm. That was, mm-hmm. yeah. Because if you think about it, like my generation, we had these two huge inflection points, uh, in, in terms of just like our concept of social progress. Obama gets elected, then Trump gets elected, and in this weird little space in between, you had people like me who came of age in that in that environment, mm-hmm. and just now we are getting our stories out. But a lot of these stories have been kind of like gestating inside us for quite a bit. And now we have the means and the and the power to do it. Yet we just like suffered this collective calamity that in some way renders all of this irrelevant. Okay, but let me make a defense of the show, though, uh, in terms of why I think it'll age well. Because I think unlike Master of None and I think also unlike, very much unlike Broad City, I think that in girls there you can see the seeds of how that era the era in which it's trying to capture how it's doomed how it's going to end. no, no exactly I think, yeah no i yeah. fully agree with that you real you think it and at the time you're watching it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deny that i thought the same as well you think we're we're, we're like a championship team to like we've almost won like the social progress championship all we need is is like a little role player to play like 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 a three point specialist or something. Turns out we just need to learn how to play defense. Just like the fundamentals, like <laughs> it was all broken. We have to go right. back Everything to the was game fucked, plan. Yeah. And then yeah. in retrospect, you watch it and you see them kind of like squabbling over the like the final details, and you're like, "Well, the, the foundation is rotten." Like we, we yeah, so. I, yeah. And I think I think in in my if you know to the extent that uh, this era becomes, I think there's a time when people will look back in this era. Pretty soon, probably won't take very long, but because it was such a discontinuous break. But like, okay, I think there's a lot of shows. Like you, you wrote that article, which I thought I really agreed with, which was Master of None just doesn't make the cut. Like when you watch it now, you're just like, you guys were so full. You guys were eat, you know, drinking the Kool Aid. I think a lot of the shows start to fall away. There was a pretty good article that actually kind of mirrored your article in a way about how Broad City also failed the test. It just didn't. It just felt wrong. Yeah, you know, I wish I could see the this. new season. Yeah, they said they had to kind of retool it. Darken it. Yeah. And, yeah, I can't imagine it working though. I Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll check it out. But like, I I still think Girls is going to hold up in the sense that it, it really did have the right kinds of critiques about it's about modern day New York in that second term of Obama. It's that, the only show that went that far in self-criticizing. And I think, I think that's yeah. why it will serve as the best like snapshot of, of that yeah of that culture that kind of urban educated do what you love kind of thing post-racial striving yeah yeah but 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 unmoored it like it they're just so unmoored um and i felt like that's the whole the whole six seasons to me everybody was treading water you know sometimes trying to help each other but for the most part you know they're just throwing elbows at each other <laughs> and sometimes we're you know oftentimes just working against each other yeah uh and and then, you know, you try to find, I think there was, you know, it wrapped up well, too, because there wasn't a real, you know, people were disappointed with the ending. And I'm like, well, I could have done without the pregnancy. I thought that was kind of, yeah, yeah that came out of nowhere. And it, I don't know, I kind of blame Judd Apatow for that. He has this fetish for turning everything into about, like, you know, attempt to, babies. yeah, babies, attempts at babies, making yeah. wholesome families, whatever. But, well, that's the hope, right, <laughs> is like. I mean, the hope is to ultimately find me, find mooring in like family and connection, um, but it it still resisted it to some extent, and like there's just no rat, like there there is no most of it's not resolved. Like there, it sounds like people are just going to kind of go their own way. Although uh, the counterpoint to that is, guess who is there at the end with Hannah Marnie, Marnie. right? For all the shit that she yeah. takes, and you know, most of it justified. I think she is still there at the end for her friend. And I and I think that's what makes her better than say Jessa, who I think is the worst of the four. <laughs> oh yeah, no, she's by far the most uh, fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it made me I I didn't really enjoy watching her storylines just because it was like almost painful to watch. Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny you when know, she like her, married Chris O'Dowd, Thomas John. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. For, for that dude is fucking hilarious, by the way. He was also that in guy's incredible so funny. Jessica James. Very, he's good oh, in really? that. He's good in that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that dude's. Hilarious. He was hilarious. He was like some. What was it? Like he was. Uh, he was. Like, it was perfect. He was he's like some this, inv- investment banker. He, yeah. 
He just moved to Williamsburg. Baker he VC bought this Williamsburg shit. penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> he goes. He bought like a human. He he won some like bullshit award called like a human award. The human. Like, he called it the human. <laughs> the human. He's like not my human. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, man, that was good. That was good yeah. shit. Yeah. All right, it's getting kind of late. Um. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Good talking to you. All right. I'm glad you could finally get all your girls' shit out. Oh, I, I still got a few episodes in me. So, <laughs> anytime, right, well, anytime. <laughs> you can we'll do a girls. Stuff.